What's going on? Welcome to Life's a Trip podcast. I'm Dave. And I am Chase. And uh, on this podcast, we explore all kinds of stuff, all the, the weird and winding individual paths that we all walk in life. Uh, our conversations range from mindfulness and relationships. All the way to psychedelic spirituality, and a whole bunch of weird, crazy, fun stuff. Yeah, and uh, we just we look at basically what it means to be anything at all. Or not. Or not. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and I hope that you enjoy. Love you guys. See you on the other side. Peace. Hello, friends, and welcome back to episode seven of Life's a Trip podcast. Uh, this is another episode that I am recording down here in Asheville. I'm Dave, and I uh, will be recording this episode, or I already recorded this episode, with my friend Brian Stanford. Um, we recorded episode three together, in which he told um, a lot of the story of his life and the strange path that has brought him to where we know each other today. If you haven't had a chance, uh, I highly recommend that you check that episode out before listening to this as it's one of the wildest stories I've ever heard uh, in terms of someone's life path, um, but it also informs a lot of what we cover in today's episode, uh, which is uh, a range of topics uh, kind of picking up where we left off uh, in Brian's story and my own, where how we have both come to find ourselves at this place in our lives, being Asheville, as uh, as well as just like in a state of fluidity and um, what Brian describes as entering the beam, uh, a reference from a Stephen King series called the Gun the Gunslinger or Dark Tower series. Um, so yeah, we talk about following the breadcrumbs in life or following our intuition. Uh, in order to arrive where we feel aligned. We uh, dip into some talk of inner alchemy, which is the, the idea of changing the, the difficulties and the struggles in our lives into gold. So alchemy. Um, and uh, we finish with a couple practical invitations of ways that you can begin to shape your own life and tap into that intuition, that little voice in you. So this, uh, this episode is packed with goodness. I, I got a lot of value out of it. I love having these conversations with Brian and I hope that, uh, in listening, you get a lot out of it as well. So without any more delay, here is episode seven of life's a trip podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back, my friend, Brian Stanford. It's good to see you, sir. Good to see you, man. We're back in it, back in your beautiful home. We got our, I got my cup of coffee. You got your tea. I got some turmeric ginger tea because I've been successfully um, battling whatever one of the innumerable viruses or germs that seem to go through work. I've been doing everything I can to to... Uh, heal myself and not let it 
not let it get me, which I th- seems to be working. Yeah, you look pretty healthy to me. Part of that, <laughs> part of that is I've been taking lots of herbs and um, drinking hot beverages. But I've also cut back on my coffee lately, so mm. I'm switching in the middle of the day sometimes to like a non-caffeinated tea, which is a really new branch out for me. Yeah. But the turmeric ginger one I really like. Oh man, I've, I've been definitely going hard on the coffee lately. It's like when I'm, I'm feeling a little lull at work, just go slam a couple cups of coffee real yeah. quick. And it's like, I, you know, I bounce back out of the break room. I'm like, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to have some fun. Yep. Um, that's funny. So uh, for those of you who listened to, I think it was episode three of our podcast is the first one that you were on. Uh, we had a great, great episode um, where you shared a good bit of your own path that has um, led you to here. And I think we, we left off shortly before you got to Asheville. And uh, as we were sitting down and discussing you know, the topics that we're going to cover in this episode, that, that's definitely something I kind of want to tie back in is, is how both of us got to Asheville and, yeah. and how that, um, I think for both of us in our conversations that we've had, uh, had a lot to do with intuition. Just like we saw, we, there's something in this place that, that drew us forward, uh, towards it. So yeah. Yeah. Take it away. So just pick, we will just go there and see what comes, what comes out of that. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think, I think I had mentioned it in the last episode, uh, right before I moved out here, um, I was in the midst of going through a divorce and it's weird. I think now looking back on the timeline of something like a divorce, because, uh, at least in my situation, you could, I could definitely pinpoint the day and time in which my ex-wife and I ceased to live in the same house. Mm. Um, and I suppose at some point you could say, well, that's where the divorce began or that's where the separation began. But I think the truth is with at least probably with a lot of people's experience of divorce, definitely with mine, um, it's something that had been brewing, you know, for years and years and years. Right. And uh, about four or five years before I moved here, I had come out here to participate in a, a meditation um, and esoteric studies retreat um, with some friends of mine here in town. And it was my first experience of being in Asheville and uh, being in this general area, being in the mountains here, hiking out to waterfalls, getting in the water, um, just spending time in the place. And I immediately fell in love with Asheville and very much wanted to move here. But um, at the time, the woman I was married to, her job didn't allow us to relocate to Asheville. So um, as that relationship was falling apart and I was kind of um, thinking about what to do you know, next in my life, and it was an incredibly painful, uh, painful situation, even when you're moving out of, I think even when you're moving out of a relationship that has kind of <coughs> come to its end or it's reached a point that there's, you know, there's no really good way to work past whatever is going on. It's still really painful usually for at least yeah. one party involved. And, um, my good friend, uh, Lisa Sherman and Will Hamilton, um, 
had just said to me, why don't you just come to Asheville? Just move to Asheville. Just come out here. Um, these are people I've been friends with for a really long time. Um, and they offered me a place to live here. And so I put in for a transfer mm-hmm. um, with Trader Joe's. And I came out here in uh, February of 2018 to visit for a second time because it had been probably four years you know, since I had been here and it seemed like a good idea to come out and just make sure, (laughs) you know, that like, okay, do I really, do I really want to live here and kind of go talk to people at the store? Mm -hmm. And when I was here, of course I was blown away by the beauty of the town. Um, we went hiking up at graveyard fields and got in the water and in the waterfall out there. And, we engaged in a, a short kind of uh, ritual prayer where we stood in the water. Um, one of the things that my friend Lisa had told me was that Asheville is like a vortex. Crystal vortex, man. Right? <laughs> and it either pulls you in completely or it spits you out, right? Yeah. And you, I mean, anybody who's lived here for any period of time has definitely probably experienced people coming here who just get absolutely sucked into Asheville and it's, it's home for them and definitely have experiences with people who come here and it is just not, choose choose them up. It's just not a fit. (laughs) Right. Um, and so when we were up at graveyard fields and we were in the water, um, we made this prayer that, um, um, if I would be accepted into Asheville by kind of like the spirit of the town or the local spirits or the zeitgeist or whatever you want to call it. Like if, 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 um, actually what our, in one of the things that we had talked about was, you know, Asheville has all these great things to offer, but what do I have to offer Asheville? Mm. And that, that perhaps one of the things that worked in this mechanism of vortex is, are you bringing something to the table or are Mm. you just trying to come kind of pick and eat the fruit of the Asheville paradise? Right. Hmm. Interesting. And so I had really... It's like an offering. Yes. What what do you have to offer? What do you have to offer? And I had thought a lot about that. And, um, you know, the thing that I thought that I I did had to offer and that I I want to offer and that I continue to try to offer is this, um, you know, esoteric Gnostic interpretation of Christian spirituality and um, meditation and prayer practice. And so when we were in the waterfall, you know, we made the verbal intent accompanied with ritual actions and dunking ourselves in the water. And mind you, this was in February. It's quite cold. And, um, uh, that if what I had to offer was needed here, then, you know, Asheville would like open up the gates and bring me into the vortex. And then I went back, went back home and put in for the transfer here. Home being Austin. Uh, Dallas. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, um, was told when I put my transfer in that there was a long list of people trying to transfer. It would probably be six to nine months before I heard anything, which was an inch initially discouraging. But, um, I set the intention in my mind that within three months, whether I was offered the job at Trader Joe's or not, I was just going to come out and, if I didn't have the offer of the job at Trader Joe's, I was going to try to make something happen. And luckily I had these very good friends who were offering me a place to live mm-hmm. without having to immediately worry about rent and things like that. Uh, if I needed to come out here and start something from the ground up. 
but I, I back in Dallas, I think I, as I told you before, um, and maybe we want to get in this now, or maybe we get into it later. But I developed a a meditation and prayer practice around uh, getting myself out here. And before my three months, uh, yeah, before my three months were up, actually, way before my three months were up, within a month, um, the captain at the time called and had basically said, you know, we something has just opened up. How fast can you yeah. get out here? And my captain at the store I was working at at the time was like, hey, this sounds like if this is something this you want to do, you need to go. The door is open. The door is open. You need to yeah. go. And so within a couple of weeks of being offered the position, I basically sold a bunch of things that I had and packed up uh, my car and drove out here. And I, I love this piece of story. I'm going to kind of ask ask you to share this part because I remember hearing this is like you you feeling a, an urge to get here faster than you needed to and I mean I yeah I, I just I I really felt a burning desire um, and a burning uh, calling uh, to be out here uh, one other piece I, I didn't mention that I want to mention because I think it was very important is along with graveyard fields I also went to the Basilica Mm-hmm. St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence. It's one of the first places I went here. Really? Yeah, I went and sat in that. And like I, I hadn't sat in a church in a long time. And I, for some reason, I felt drawn to that place. And I yeah, went and sat. And there was a, a, a small mass happening in Spanish. And that's wow. a beautiful space. Yeah. It's, Reg- regardless oh, yeah. of whether or not you identify with any type of religion, it's a beautiful space. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's one of those places, um, the way I think about it is like when you go into St. Lawrence's Basilica... Um, you have no doubt that you are in a, a temple of the divine. Like, you know, um, a lot of times you'll go to a church or a temple space or a Buddhist center or whatever that was like, you know, originally a school or originally mm-hmm. a store or originally something other than a sacred space. But when you mm-hmm. go into somewhere that was designed as a sacred space, like yeah. from day one, it's pretty powerful. And I had that same experience of just like, being overawed with the power and the beauty of the place and particularly the um, Marian shrine that is there. So for anybody listening in Asheville or coming to Asheville, if you go to St. Lawrence's to the left of the main altar, there's a side niche um, kind of temple space dedicated to the divine feminine in the form in various forms of Mary and, um, and I went into the Marian shrine and, and prayed that if, again, like if I am, if there's, if what I have to offer is needed here in Asheville, please bring me to Asheville. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I went back home and put in for the transfer, did this daily meditation practice I had around getting out here and then got the transfer and, you know, drove out. Um, uh, I, my plan was to drive to uh, Nashville and spend the night. Um, but as I was driving, I had heard about, uh, nicotine being, um, like a nootropic for concentration and focus and energy. (laughs) And I was like, okay, well I'm going to try nicotine, but I don't want to smoke cigarettes and I don't want to invest in like a whole vaping thing because I don't want to get into doing that. (laughs) And so I bought nicotine gum and, (laughs) and it had been years since I had used nicotine. That's great. So I bought nicotine gum. So I was basically like listening to podcasts, slamming coffee, <laughs> and chewing nicotine gum. And when I hit Nashville, You're like fuck it, I felt like I, like I'm just gonna keep driving. 
And then I thought, okay, when I get to Knoxville, I'll spend the night. And then I got to Knoxville, and I'm looking at my GPS, and it's like you're an hour and a half, two hours away. I didn't know, though, that that last last little bit going through the Smoky Mountains there, and it was getting dark on those winding roads, and it was not the kind of driving I was used to in Texas. But I pushed through, and I did the drive in one day. I left Dallas at like 5 or 6 in the morning and got uh, to my friend's house at about 11 o'clock that night. And that's two time zones you crossed? Yes. You're, yes. Yeah, Started lo- in Central. Losing, I think you're yeah. losing two hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I hadn't. I hadn't heard the, the nicotine gum thing. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Well, and that that evening when you got here, didn't you have dinner, or was it the next day? Uh, I got here and and uh, went to Sonic over on Tunnel Road and got a burger, and then went to my friend Will and Lisa's house and and ate dinner there, and then went to sleep. Um, I think I went and got in their hot tub and took like some selfies of myself, like made it to Asheville, and, yeah. you know, sent them out to people. And, uh, and the next day was, uh, my buddy Will's birthday and they had uh, a dinner planned mm-hmm. with, um, me and Will and Lisa and Althea and a couple of other people, but no one else showed up except for Althea. Mm-hmm. So it turned out being me, Will, um, Lisa and Althea, and so that was, you know, the very next day I met the woman who became my fiance, who's also a longtime friend of these people who invited me um, out. So not only did they change my life by um, inviting me out to Asheville, but then they also introduced me to my wife, and um, and that just, you know, took off pretty shortly from there. I mean, I kind of just fell into the honeypot in Nashville, really. Really, though. I definitely had the experience of the, thank thank God, of the vortex pulling pulling me in. It's it's a trip, and uh, I'd love to share my kind of counterpoint story to that. Yeah. Um, Because it's it's similar in spirit. But I I want to emphasize that, like, this is not uh, an advertisement for coming to Asheville. It's, It's more so, like... Paying attention if, if a place or something is not working for you and you feel it's time to go. Like, I, and after you hear my story, perhaps this will sink in even further for you. But, like, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're in a place where, like, maybe literally you're in a place that doesn't seem like things are, anything is going right, maybe consider the possibility that there's somewhere else and, and open yourself up to a place calling you. Like, yeah. look for that. Look for the breadcrumbs. Look for the signs that, you know, someone says, hey, come stay with me. This is an opportunity. This is like, this is maybe a prayer answered. And even if you don't necessarily pray, you know, to some entity, like, this could be something that is waiting for you. So, um, so on that note, like, <clears throat> the winter before I moved to Asheville, um, I was living with a buddy of mine up in Michigan and it was just like really dark winter. And I, I spoke about this in my Ted talk. Like I was deeply depressed. I was trying yeah. to do freelance thing, uh, art thing, and it just was not going well. And I was, had some suicidal ideation and just like, it was a really rough winter for me. Yeah. And, um, sometime in like the early months of that year, uh, my buddy Eddie came up for, I think like, um, he might've come for a funeral and we met up for a beer and he's like, listen, man, I'm down in Charlotte. You bring your dog, pack up. You can come stay with me and my wife for like a month. This is the window that we're going to give you. Right. So you can sort some shit out. Just like change it up. And I was just like, oh my God, like that's something different. Like I got to go. Right. 
so I packed up my van. I, I drove south to Charlotte. Wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I stayed with them. And as the month came to a close, I was like, all right, I need to put some roots down. I got to just do something. I can't keep just hemorrhaging money, which is my credit card was just like everything yeah. was maxing out. And so I went and found an apartment north of Charlotte. It was fine. <laughs> I, I think I paid like a $100 deposit. Uh-huh. And... uh I used the last bit of one of my credit cards to pay for an Airbnb to just go be alone out in Horseshoe, which is southeast of Asheville. Mm. A little spot up in the mountain where me and my dog can just be alone. I could clear my head. So I got that for, I think, three days. And I went up there and I meditated and I did yoga and I had a conversation with family members and journaled and just like kind of cleared my head. And I think I booked a gig. I got a couple hundred dollar gig. So like I, I knew that I could pay for a couple more meals in the tank of gas. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be okay. I'm going to Friday night, I'm going to go into Asheville. I'm going to check it out, get some dinner, just kind of celebrate, you know, having at least a little bit of direction in my life. And so I drive in and pull into this parking lot. And if you know Asheville, there's a mellow mushroom downtown. Yeah. There's a parking lot like just down the hill from that. Yeah. So I pull into a spot and... I haven't even turned off the car, and across the street is a slope, and there's a group of people wearing, I think, like, neon clothing, like, super tight neon clothing, and they're running in slow motion (laughs) down the hill, and one of them is falling in slow motion, so they're putting on, like, this act where they're, like, doing a slow motion marathon, and this is crossing my my field of vision, (laughs) and I was like, all right, this place is weird. I kind of dig it. So I ended up walking around town and just like taking to the sounds and sights. It was kind of warm and bars were open and you hear people laughing and you smell all the food. And I stopped and got some delicious Indian food and I'm just like taking it all in. Just like, oh, this feels good. This feels good. Like, all right, I I have a little bit of an idea of what's next. I end up kind of wander around for another hour, come upon the drum circle, which happens every Friday night. And there's like 200 people around this little park and there's a bunch of people in the middle with drums and a couple of instruments and people are dancing and singing and, you know, super, super hippie. I loved it though. I sat and just soaked it up. Yeah. And so I'm kind of floating back to my car and I get in my van and I take a breath and I'm like, I like it here. I'm going to go back to... Charlotte, and I'll live there for a year and save up some money, and then I'll move back to Asheville. And I'm like, hold the, f- hold the fucking phone. Like, <laughs> why am I delaying this thing that feels good? Mm-hmm. So I go back to my Airbnb and get on um, whatever apartment search thing. The third apartment pops up. It's got these big windows, this beautiful place near downtown. I set up a tour for the next morning. Driving to town, check it out the next morning. She's like, this is going to go fast. I'm yeah, like, cool. I go to the bank, take out all the money I have, pay the deposit, and a couple weeks later move in. I didn't know how I was going to pay my, my rent. It was yeah. like $925 a month. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. That first night that I was in town in this house, this big old house, um, I met this woman as I'm moving stuff in. She's sitting outside on the sidewalk. She lived in one of the other apartments in the in the house, smoking a cigarette. I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'm Dave. Her name's Amelia, and she, to this day is one of my good friends. She's a friend of ours, yeah. And um, it was through Amelia, who I got to know over the coming weeks, um, she introduced me to all the people that work at Trader Joe's. And eventually, as I was struggling financially, she's like, you should apply to Trader Joe's, which happened to be two blocks South of where I moved in. (laughs) And then one thing led to another. I had to file for bankruptcy. 
my car was repossessed. So like, had I not ended up in that place, yeah, I wouldn't have met her, and then I wouldn't have been able to get the job at Trader Joe's, and I wouldn't have been able to walk. And so I was like, I got pulled in at this really messy time in my life, and Asheville just totally embraced me. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because um, I guess it was the second uh, full day that I was here, and um, it was still a couple of, I think, like, I can't remember the exact days, but I got in, and then I had, like, three days before work started, and so, like, on that second day, and I was just kind of wanting to get out and see what was what, and I went right down there where you're talking about, Mm -hmm. and I think I got in, I got Indian food right there too, and was on that that same strip there on Broadway. I think it is. Is that uh-huh. what Mushroom is? Yep. Um, and uh, saw a similar thing. Saw a wall mural with all the little Buddhas on yes. it, and was like, "Oh wow, uh, a definite, um, you know, feeling of being in the right place, and um, the ways in which." Uh, I mean, it's just a fascinating thing to me to to hear the way you're describing, like just the way the chain of events unfold. Um, <laughs> and I guess it's one of those moments where I'm just kind of like struck in amazement that uh, that there are people who do not see the hand of God and such things because it's it's almost <laughs> it's like, like it's just kind of crazy, like um, irrefutable. It's like I, yeah. I can't. There's no other way to explain it. Yeah. Oh, it's a coincidence. Well, all right, so maybe that's a coincidence, but then my car gets repossessed, and I I have to move out of my place because I can't afford it. I have a place that I can move into with some friends, but I can't live there without a car. In line at work one day, a woman that I met at Trader Joe's and just hit it off with was like, hey, are you still looking for a car? <laughs> well, my, my boss is an older woman. She hurt her leg, and she's looking to give her, her stick shift old Toyota away. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I called the woman. She's like, yep, uh, you know, I'll drop it off. I'll, I'll notarize the title and you can just have it. You can have this, old, like, it runs well. Right, right. So I was, I was given a car simply because I had a conversation about the fact that I didn't have a car. Yeah, it's, it's amazing the ways in which um, uh, I like using the name uh, Hashem for for God, but the way in which um, Hashem like set up the circumstances in your life um, in ways sometimes that seem like the wheels are getting greased and in ways sometimes in which it seems like the whole train is being derailed. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I feel like oftentimes when I look back, you can see, you know, the hand of providence in... um, uh, in whatever was occurring because, you know, had I not gone through, um, the, you know, incredible pain of divorce and the end of a long relationship and, um, so many things like when I moved here, I was moving away from my family in Texas, which was uh, very hard to do. My father very much wanted me to stay, was not uh, happy with me leaving. I think there's ways in which he's still not happy, um, that I left, uh, but also having that feeling that you described of just being like, okay, now's the time. Like, I have to move. Yeah. Um, and when you said, when you were encouraging people who might find themselves in that place of being um, stuck or, or in this place where nothing's happening, I had read, I, I wish I knew the origin of this quote, 
I use it a lot, but I, I don't know the origin, but it's, it's, um, it's easier to steer a moving ship. And the idea is a ship that's just completely stationary. Mm. It's hard to get it going in a direction, like it, from the perspective, uh, apparently, I don't know, obviously, like I, I'm not a, a ship captain or something, but the way that the story has been told to me is like, even if the ship's going in a, in the wrong direction, it's easier to then write that course as opposed to if it's just completely, you know, stationary and standing still. And, mm. um, uh, the, the flip side of that is you, you have to take these risks sometimes and they don't always work. You yeah. know, they don't always work. There's no necessary, um, guarantee, uh, that it is going to all work out. Um, Which I think like what you're just saying with uh, sometimes it's like the train crashing. Like I I think for me, one of the, some of the greatest lessons that I've received or when, when it all comes falling down and I fall hard and I feel foolish and I'm embarrassed and I'm hurt. And once I've gotten sick of sitting in my poopy diaper and I change my poopy diaper and get back up and put myself back together. I'm like, okay, I didn't die. Right. You know, my world didn't actually end. Right. People aren't rejecting me left and right. Like I haven't been totally abandoned. I think those are some of the most profound experiences. Cause like when I chose to move to Asheville, my parents, I called my parents and I was like, listen, I need, I need this amount of money to make the deposit and the first month's rent. Can you please help me? And I've, I've really had a hard time asking for help. Yeah. Especially financial help. Yeah. And I remember breaking down on the phone when they told me that they would. They're like, listen, we, we think it might be a better idea for you to come home and to live here. And I just, I could not bear the thought of returning with my tail between my legs. I yeah. was like, give me, please just give me the shot. I will pay you back. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Yeah. We'll do it. And they, and they did. And I, I hope uh, if they're listening... <laughs> thank you so much for supporting me in like trying to jump out of the nest. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you guys could have said no and, and you know, who knows how would it, that would have unfolded, but instead you chose to support me in this kind of, uh, you, you didn't necessarily understand what I was doing, but you trusted me enough to give me space to figure it out. Yeah, I was telling you um, before we started recording that uh, right before you came over, I had just come back from, um, I do a, uh, do cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. I started doing that about two months ago, It's maybe even three months ago. It's been really great. I, I really, really love it and feel like I'm getting so much out of it. And one of the things that we were talking about today was the ways in which I have been lately trying to actively uh, cultivate gratitude and appreciation for people and for situations and even for people that sometimes it's hard for me to be around or to be with or that I can have a very critical mind about but even trying to find the things that I'm grateful about for those people and uh, Mm. when you talk about your parents doing that for you and for me it was my my friends Will and Lisa um and, and, uh, just, it, it's, it's really kind of beautiful. I mean, it's not kind of, it is beautiful for me to reflect on the ways in my life in which, 
you know, not only have I been given uh, second chances for things, but I've been given like third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances yeah. for things and um, have found, <clears throat> I think there's a way, at least this is my theory, there's a way in which you can through, you know, these practices that we kind of talked about maybe just barely scratched the surface about last time of this inner alchemy stuff that you can, you can kind of get yourself. Um, um, I don't know if you ever read the, the gunslinger series or if people listening to this have like dark tower. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like you get yourself on the beam, right? You get yourself like in line with the divine energy, however you understand it with, uh, but you get yourself in the stream of that beam and then it's really kind of amazing the ways in which doors uh, can begin to open for yeah. you and situations um, begin to to happen and, and manifest. And then I think there's also a, a really important thing for cultivating gratitude around the hard things. Like you mentioned mm. when you were back home and even having suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. And I've, I've definitely had those experiences too. And it's one of the things that I think about in regards to prison and the author and anti-communist activist, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote some books that people should really read called the Gulag Archipelago. And he was a a prisoner under Stalin in the communist regime in the Soviet Union. And um, he wrote the series of books, the Gulag Archipelago that, that document his experience and other people's experiences of the kind of extended Holocaust that was Soviet communism. Um, But one of the things that he says in the end is that he cultivates this intense gratitude towards that situation. And I've heard Buddhist monks from Tibet say the same thing, that they actively cultivate an attitude of gratitude, even towards their torturers, and, and people who jailed them because even though it's not what those people were trying to do, right? Those people were motivated by horrible motivations and whatever senses of duty they had, who knows? But um, through these horrible acts, it opened up this door towards liberation and enlightenment for these people, you know? And it's it's something that I don't think we think about very much. I, I feel like there's a trend in the culture right now where there's a, a real sense of buying into and kind of setting up a house and living in your past traumas yes. and kind of defining everything around them. Yes. And they become this focal point and people, I, I definitely see expressions in writing and art and music and conversation where, you know, people really invest a lot of emotional sureness in the, the, the rightness of their anger. You know, like, I feel like we hear this in politics now a lot. Like, like I'm, I'm fucking angry about this thing and it's a righteous anger and it's a righteous hatred of injustice and all of this kind of stuff. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Who knows? You have to investigate your own heart. But, um, I think there is way more spiritual power, um, and way more chances for transformation if you cultivate, you know, gratitude around these things. It's like... It's a release. It's a it's a release. My therapist today made this really great analogy of like I was talking about a, a particular person that I sometimes have a hard time interacting with, and then I 
started cultivating this sense of forgiveness for this person. And my therapist said, it's like, you know, this kind of hurt is like you're both on this fish hook. Mm. The only way you can get off the fish hook, though, is to let the other person off the hook, mm. right? Because you're yeah. on there and then they're you're, on you're, there. Yeah, you're deeper in there. Yeah, so, so you, you have to get them, them off, off the hook first before you can get off. And yeah. um, it's, a, it's a really, you know, like uh, uh, just with whatever whatever it is, like I'm, I'm no fan of, of Donald Trump or the Trump presidency. I'm not a Republican or anything like that. But there's a lot of ways in which I'm grateful for what has occurred under Trump because I, I think it's busted things open, Wide open in a way that create possibilities that weren't there before, yeah. you know? And, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, a I think it's a revolutionary, uh, liberation strategy to, to try to, you know, like actively cultivate these attitudes of gratitude, even around the hardship. Stuff. And, and that's like, as, as you're saying, I think this is a perfect lead into that inner alchemy piece. It's like alchemy is the transformation of like the dark matter or the dark, the, the dark, like lumps of metal into yeah. gold. Right. So yeah. you're taking, you're taking the shittiest things that happen to you in your life and maybe sm- start smaller than the shittiest things. Like change the little things that you don't necessarily like about yourself and, and look at how you can fix that. Yeah. How can I, take this un- unpleasant situation and turn it into something that serves me. Right. Yeah. Uh, Carl Jung, I don't think it was his quote. I think it's from an old alchemical text and I wish I remembered the Latin cause it sounds really cool. But, um, <laughs> the translation essentially is, um, in filth, you will find it mm. in filth. You'll find what it is that you're looking for. Terrence McKenna talked about, he also used the classic alchemical term of, you know, he would always talk about the negrito, you know, you have to cultivate the negrito, <laughs> you have to cultivate the dark soil, yeah. you know, it's that dark soil that, that has all of the, the nutrients for transformation in them, you know, right. um, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta dig down into it. You gotta, you gotta be in the darkness in the soil in the dark place. That's where you find that little spark, that inner light, that yeah that is yours yeah like and that's uh, for me that's like that's that's where the transformation really started like that's where i really started to grow is when i was at that really dark place and it was there that i found something to hang on to and like it was just like following those little little breadcrumbs those little specks of light in my life in that dark time that led me here yeah and and has since and this is something you were saying before we started the conversation. It's like we all have that spark within us. Right. It's about cracking cracking it open and then like building kindling and doing the work of like building the flame. Right. So can you speak a little bit more on that? Yeah. I, um, I think, you know, this idea, I largely picked this up from the, um, there was a, I mean, I don't know what you would call him, he, a teacher, a guru um, named Gurdjieff in, I believe he was alive, I mean, he was alive during the Bolshevik Revolution, he was really, I think, actively as a spiritual teacher in like the 20s and 30s, maybe 1940s, he was originally from Russia, and um, he he said, when people would ask him what he was teaching, he said it was esoteric Christianity, that's what he called it. Nowadays, it's called the fourth way. If uh, 
uh, there's groups in lots of towns. There's a group in this town that, that practices it, and he wrote a ton of books. You can find information on Gurdjieff. But Gurdjieff had this idea that, like, not everybody has a soul, but that we all have the potential to have a soul. Um, mm -hmm. We all have this spark of soul potential, but that most people and, and kind of the, the thrust of um, culture, particularly at where he was and at the time that he was developing these ideas, um, leads to that spark just kind of going out, um, you know, Living in like an unexamined life. Living an unexamined like life. Trudging along until you're dead. Exactly. Um, and and Gurdjieff taught very specific practices around what he called self-remembering, like ways in which to wake yourself up throughout the day to the fact that you are consciousness. You're not just a body um, or, or emotions or feelings or anything like that, that there, that you are something much more fundamental than that. And that this, uh, kind of kindles that spark before it can just burn out and turn it into an actual flame of, of a, a living live, you know, powerful soul spirit, uh, being and what we were kind of talking about before, um, you know, the ideas with this and they are, these are ideas you can find in ancient, ancient Egypt. So they're, they're ancient ideas and you also see them in Mesoamerican traditions and traditions from this continent. Uh, but this idea that the, you know, the goal of the spiritual path is to create this kind of soul vessel uh, for consciousness that can then, consciousness can exist beyond death. Um, I think the idea in a lot of these esoteric traditions is that the, you know, most of us, myself included, spend a huge amount of time running through life like on autopilot or asleep, you know, like you might have moments, <clears throat> let's say, you know, I do prayer and meditation in the morning and, and at that point I feel really tapped into source and definitely aware that I am consciousness, that, you know, I've cultivated that, um, that I am, like capital mm. I am, consciousness, that thing that sees through the eyes and hears through the ears, that is truly what I am. Like I'm tapped into that. But then like four hours into my shift and I look at my watch and it's like, where the last four hours go? Like I can't yeah. really, you know, I've just been like cruising on autopilot. And, uh, and Gurdjieff taught and they teach in Tibetan Buddhism and in Hinduism and in esoteric Christianity that the shock of death makes it for most people just black out. It's just like an amnesia. It goes to sleep. It's gone. And, you know, yes, something passes on because consciousness can't be uh, created or destroyed, but it has no memory of its previous existence. It has no continuity with previous existence, previous lessons, previous teaching. It wipes it all away. Wipes it from, all away. From the intensity of the experience. From the intensity of the experience. And so, you know, from this perspective, this would be one of the reasons to engage in like what we were talking about before, like psychedelic exploration, like mm -hmm. coming to... Uh, experiences of high level of psychedelics where you experience ego death and you mm -hmm. you get the terrifying and awe-inspiring experience that you aren't actually what you think you are and that yeah. thing that you think you are is going to die oh, and be man. destroyed and it's temporary um the disillusion when man when I, when i've been in that space of like a, a really intense trip and i feel myself 
getting pulled apart and like mm-hmm. there's just like th- something some part of my consciousness and I'm like in you know even with my eyes closed I can feel this intense fear of like no 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 yeah I think <laughs> I uh Joe Rogan interviewed Mike Tyson yeah and I think he talks about smoking DMT yeah totally he and he's like and there and there's this moment where it's like it's like you're getting pulled apart it's like no 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 yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 in like the, one of the big pieces that they say in psychedelic therapy is something that they that an agreement that you have prior to having the experience is like do not run away from the things that you're scared of and it's like so you have to continue to surrender into that. So when I have that intense fear of like oh my god my my consciousness my my psychological well being is disintegrating like I'm going to lose my mind right. <sighs> Yeah. And then I relax and let it go. Yeah. And for me, the the once that wave of intensity has passed and I've I've come back together, recoagulated as like whatever this consciousness that, that is Dave right. is. Right. It's like, oh man. <sighs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting when you were, um, you know, people can't see you right now, but when you were explaining that story, you're clenching up your hands when you're saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. And then the, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it, again, I, I talk about my friend Lisa a lot and will, because they've had such a profound impact on me. But one of the things that I've gotten from Lisa is this description of clinch and release, clinch and release, clinch and release. And through psychedelic exploration, you can, um, uh, you know, you can, you can get into these deep spaces where you can, you know, with the correct training, you can notice the clinch going on and you can mm-hmm. activate the release and you can see how it kind of cycles. And then that plays out into, you know, your life and the ways in which you clinch up in life and how, how freeing it is to release. And it's my contention that at these high level spiritual experiences, what you're tapping into is the the fear of you know the clinch around the fear of the thing dying that is temporal and is going to die and the the way that you tap into uh, the hebrew word is emuna uh, or faith the way you tap into faith is to have these experiences of well okay yes oh god i'm going to die i'm going to die i'm going to okay i'm going to die Oh, and just, right. huh. I'm going to die. And it, and nothing happens and maybe it does. And, and, but it's my contention that consciousness continues. Um, and that you can, you can tap into this higher soul self capital S thing. Um, and interestingly, another thing that Gurdjieff talked about is the one way you do this is to intentionally suffer. Hmm. And this would be like a fundamental, concept from esoteric Christianity using the, um, the mythology. And I don't use that word lightly. I think like a lot of times when we say myth, we think of, Oh, myth means something that's not true. Hmm. You know, it's just a story. I think when I use the word myth, what I'm saying is that these are stories that crop up around something that is truer than true. It's like true, not contingent on time or place. It, It starts showing up cross-culturally, cross-time. It's an essential truth. It's an essential truth. And one of those essential truths that's told in the story of the crucifixion in Christianity um, is this idea of you have to voluntarily pick up your cross and carry it up the hill 
to your death. <laughs> you know, um, you're not carrying the cross to a good place. You're carrying it ultimately to the point of execution in the Christian story. But that's actually where all of the redemption occurs. Um, and so Gurdjieff talks about intentional suffering and you can do this in large ways, which is, we were kind of talking about this before, like it's, <clears throat> you know, I definitely am a person who tends towards, I, I want big, large, romantic, you know, lightning crash realizations because <laughs> yeah. they're great and they're fun. Um, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got to tell everybody. But it's the little ones, it's the little picking up your cross and carrying it. The, you know, like Jordan Peterson talks about, it's making your bed every making day. Bed. It's, um, you know, it's all the little things that you don't want to do and that you could easily avoid if you, if you didn't want to do them. But like consciously engaging in them as a spiritual practice, like leaning into the things that are not pleasant. Mm -hmm. um, I always see this bumper sticker around town and it drives me crazy when I see it. And I understand what they're trying to say, but I also think it's so banal. Uh, th this don't postpone joy. I was, that's, I was like, he's going to say don't, those, don't postpone joy. Yeah. It's yeah. such a ridiculous thing. Like, I mean, I think I understand what they're trying to say, but, but in another way, like, um, uh, I mean, it's a good lesson to learn how to postpone your joy. Like it'll, it'll help you save money. It'll help mm. you keep a job. It'll help you stay in a relationship. It'll help you do because life isn't always joyful and, and sometimes you have to do the hard work and sometimes you yeah. should do the hard work. There's another one. People say, uh, follow your bliss, mm. which apparently this is a quote from Joseph Campbell, Joseph Campbell yeah. who supposedly later in his life said that he regretted saying <laughs> that and wished that he could change it to where it, what he would say now would be follow your blisters, mm. like follow where you actually have to put the work in the because work. that's where you, that's where you really reap the rewards. That's where the, you know, the, that's where you get the the alchemical transformation is in the, in the hard places and in the places that you want to avoid and in the places that are scary and unsure and difficult and you know, all of, all of that. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, that's just that whole idea is it's, it's the microcosm. Like you can expand that into every aspect of your life. Like for example, jujitsu, when I, I don't want someone to take it easy on me, I'm going to, I want to get choked. Right don't don't give it to me right you know when i finally actually submit you that is a fucking victory for right me. you know i earned that yeah there's another way in which it plays in jujitsu that i think like um <clears throat> in a martial art like jujitsu like in a combat sport where you're regularly live training what you do um I know for me, for the last year, th there's been a deep exploration of wanting to build up choke defense, mm -hmm. really wanting to be good at choke defense and good at sweeps. And the way that you have to do that is you have to get choked a whole bunch. Yeah. You have to come in with the attitude of like, okay, I'm going to lose all day today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to intentionally lose all day today. I'm going to put myself... Um, even though I know if I'm going against somebody that I know if I stuck to my normal, comfortable moves and game strategy, I could win. I know I could win, but I'm actually going to go in there and take, uh, 
the non-dominant position and I'm going to let myself get into really deep waters and I'm going to lose in front of all my friends and um, I'm going to have to take the ego hit for that like not just one time like over and over and over and over and over and over and over again um, before it ever starts to pay off anything Um, but if you can do that the eventual payoff is tremendous and way deeper than just staying with what's comfortable and with what's, um, with what's easy. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that what I see a lot in modern culture is a a real thing of like, you know, don't delay your joy. And we were kind of, um, we've been planning, you know, for a while now of wanting to do a relationship on, on episode, on, an episode, an episode on, um, relationship and romantic relationship yeah. and um, monogamy and it's one of the things that I, I feel like really corrupts the idea of relationship with a lot of our peers and, and people I've known over the years and I've seen it in myself and it's something that you constantly have to work on if you want to be in relationship is that it's not always joy and bliss and happiness and it doesn't always feel good and it doesn't always feel like you know, like in the flow. No, it's, it's can be very, very hard work. And if you really want it to be a meaningful, deep, spiritually rewarding relationship, you have to seek out, you have to actually lean into the hard stuff and you have to be open to change and being Mm. malleable and being shaped and formed and all of that kind of stuff. And so these inner alchemy lessons of, of, you know, you have to start with the base material that you have. You have to start with the lead and you have to be willing to work with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, start with where you're at. Yeah. That's, that's that's what we got to work on. That's that's where we begin. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna really, things will take off when I get this. Right. It's like, oh, uh, you got to work on, sit down and draw today. It's for me. Yes. Like I have to, I have to sit down if I, if I want to make a book. I can't, you know, I can only sit and let it roll around in my brain for so long. You know, like at some point you just got to hit record, you know, enter the arena. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's such an incredible practice of stepping into discomfort, stepping outside of comfort zone. And for me, I've, I've over the last several years, I've just been rewarded over and over again for doing that to step like something kind of freaks me out i'm like oh that feels a little uncomfortable that conversation i don't really want to have it like going to that meeting i don't know like i don't know anybody or like going going and stepping out of the the mat in this new gym i don't know and every time i do that i'm rewarded yeah every time yeah and that's where the growth is right that's that's where the opportunity that's like the fertile soil is the discomfort that's the unknown and, and again, tying it back into like, if you're, if you're sitting in discomfort right now, like even your comfort zone can feel like shit. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And you know, what are you, what are you risking by getting up out of the, out of the shittiness of your current situation and trying something different? Like don't go to the same bar tonight and get drunk with the same people. Try something different. Go to, go to like a, a men's group. Yeah. Go, go to a a book club, you know, like go, go be by yourself. Try that. Right. Sit and reflect on 
what's going on in your life and what scares you. Write some shit down. Like sit and reflect on where you're at and what is making you uncomfortable and what you don't like about your life. I think it's it's so easy to watch other people and be like, oh man, their life is so good. It's like, okay, what do you want? One of the best ways to figure out what you want is to look at what you don't want. It gives you contrast. It gives you it gives you clarity. At least it has for yeah. me. It's yeah. like, all right, here are the things that I don't like in my life right now. Yeah. How do I? What are some actionable steps that I can take right now to start doing that? I want to get in a little bit better shape. I need to drink more water. Okay. Get a water bottle. Yeah. Start filling it up. Yeah, there's a, a way in which you have to get curious. You have to get curious um, about what what other potentialities are there. What's possibly there behind the curtain? What what mm. maybe more? Um, I, you know, I know for me, like I, I it's I I don't have a lot of um, really great advice or ideas in. in except in one direction and it's largely in this direction of spiritual growth but growth but I think you know one of the things that's really important is to start getting curious about what you are and what you're what you're meant to be doing you know mm-hmm. I really think that we are meant to be doing something there is a reason for our existence there is a teleos things are moving in a direction um, and I, I think that uh, it can be it is incredibly empowering to get to open oneself up to a sense of that. And we were kind of talking about earlier, like once you get on that, once you align yourself with the beam, once you, once Mm. you get in tune with, um, with source or divine, uh, you have no idea what could potentially be there. I like to think all the time. Um, I would have never like, two or three years ago if somebody would have told me like oh yeah you know what you're going to be doing in three years you're going to be sitting in this beautiful house um in Candler recording you know another podcast episode with your good friend and um you know like I I would have never like your life can change so much in ways that you can't even imagine Mm -hmm. what they're going to be uh particular you know and that could be in the good and the bad as well. But I, I feel like the more we get ourselves in line with who and what we really are and um, who and what we're doing here, uh, the, the potentialities can just open up in, in ways that are inconceivable. And I feel like that's what happened uh, for me with coming to Asheville. Uh, there was like a, a big thing of, you know, just kind of jumping out and um, uh, uh, just being open to, to potential impossibility and, and still, you know, kind of attempting to do that. There's a beautiful image of, um, the monkey God Hanuman, uh, in Hinduism and the same image with Christ and the sacred heart, uh, but holding open their chest, Mm. you know, like they have their chest ripped open and their heart is totally exposed. Like they're just, but it's this very heroic posture as well. You know, like they're, they're completely opening themselves up to, um, all of the potential that's right. there. Um, the scary stuff and the good stuff. The scary stuff and the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good stuff's hiding in there. 
I think this is actually a, a so it's coming to our 60 minute limit uh, yeah. and I think uh, this is a perfect time to take a pause and uh, when we come back maybe drop a couple practical ways to get into that that step into that beam like get yeah, into the flow of things I think that's uh, uh, just little things you can start doing today that will help you um, if you're not already feeling in the flow get in tune with that because it's I mean I, I feel the same way as you're just describing like I since returning to Asheville a month ago a month and a half ago like my whole life feels like this big fluid stream of, yes. of existence yeah and I would love for other people to experience life as I I am right now because right. it feels fucking awesome right right <laughs> So yeah. On that note, we're gonna we're gonna take a short break and uh, yeah, tune back. Hang on for just a minute, and we'll come back with some practical tips. And we are back after a pee break and refill our drinks. Um, so we wanted to drop a couple like invitations on things that you might be able to do in your own life to take steps into that more flowy state. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, um, a ship that is sitting still isn't going to really be able to change directions very easily. So I think the most important thing is to begin moving in any direction. And by doing that, you will kind of get a better idea of where you want to be and adjust your course. And so like, uh, I think the important thing to emphasize here is that it's it's a totally individual thing. Like, you know, what works for Brian and I probably won't work for you because we're totally different human beings having this experience uh, that is life. So I think it's important to remember, like, take whatever we say with a grain of salt, but more importantly, just play with your own life. Like, try out different practices. Try out different forms of class or physical movement or creative means of expression like it really comes down to just giving it a shot experimenting so um with that said i i'd like to just kind of take turns talking about what we do in our life or what we have done in our life to change course and get into the place that we are now which sounds like we're kind of in a similar space of just flow in most of our day-to-day things so take it away man i you know it like i just said i i think this is a really um it's a really interesting question and it's one that i think about a lot uh as you know we have our gnostic um group here in town and I'm a, a priest in a Gnostic tradition, so I've kind of like taken on this role of, you know, attempting to guide people in the direction of of encounter with spirit, you know, through ritual and through prayer. Um, and so I'm I'm always trying to kind of think of like what are the what are the essential components of this particularly say if someone's listening to this and maybe doesn't really have an immediate direction um and doesn't really have a tradition in which they're practicing or anything like that and i would say you know one of the first uh, 
things is that you should really try to enter into a spirit of curiosity and learning. And that this is can be like a, a, a an entire philosophy of life that is um, focused on the process um, just as much, if not more, or concurrently with goal, um, particularly when it's coming to these spiritual things, particularly if you're new or if you're, or it's been a while since you've kind of actively engaged in some kind of practices to be, be curious and, and come into things with the mind of, of curiosity with all of the aspects that occur. So, <clears throat> you know, if you begin a meditation practice, it's not usually immediately joyful and blissful. It can be boring, it can be hard, it can be painful. Um, and I would say to an entry thing to think about is cultivating a, an attitude of curiosity about all of this kind of stuff, like whatever it is. The thing that I generally recommend to people is to set up some form of daily practice, some form of a spiritual practice that you engage in on a daily basis. I think that um, we are spiritual beings that what we, in, in all the ways in which we feel a lack or an emptiness or um, a, a need to change, it, it's all the only solutions that are going to be deeply satisfying and, and lasting are spiritual solutions. So I think it's really important to develop a daily spiritual practice and that can look like all kinds of things and you could easily get overwhelmed in the beginning with all the choices and options of what to do and um, I know myself particularly I mean this has been something I've struggled with for a long time is I typically commit to more than I can actually do mm -hmm. And over the last few years, what my my goal has been um, a consistency of daily practice over how much time it takes or anything like that. So what I suggest that people do is download um, something like the app Insight Timer mm -hmm. or any other kind of app that, that tracks your progress and that you can kind of see how many days did you miss in a week and how many days did you practice and how much was the time that you practiced? Um, and not to beat yourself up. Like if you're just starting out in with a spiritual practice, you're going to miss days. You're going to have times that, you know, it just slips your mind or, or you wake up and you don't feel like it or whatever. And if you kind of build in from the front that, you know, you're going to miss some and not make such a big deal out of it and just miss it and pick it back up the next day. But one of the things that I like to do is to start my day off with a bit of prayer and meditation. And, you know, some days that might be 30 or 45 minutes. Some days it might be five minutes. The important thing to me is that it's every day. So the best thing I can describe is just what that looks like for me. And this is what I would suggest anyone who's trying to kind of align themselves with the beam um, get in contact with spirit, you know, set your alarm to get yourself up just five or 10 minutes earlier than you normally would. Um, wash your face, make your coffee, whatever it is that you want to do while you're kind of shuffling around and getting your blood flow going. Um, I like to light a candle 
And then uh, I sit, you can sit down, calm your mind. Um, and it's a, it's a weird thing to think of, but just opening yourself to divine influence. Um, and I would say, even if you're skeptical about that, get curious about it. Um, one of the things I like to, to focus on is the, the visualization and feeling of like light pouring down from above in through my head and filling my body. A light that is conscious with love, with forgiveness, with power, with energy, with inspiration. And imagine that just filling you up and, and feeling a real gratitude and love towards that sense of light. And along with that practice, um, in, the, in the Western traditions, particularly going all the way back to Socrates, one of the things that Socrates is reported to have said in some of his writings is that the only thing that made him different from every other man is that he actually listened to the voice of his, they called it a, a daemon or like his guardian angel. He would actually listen to that voice. And for years I wondered like, well, what does that mean? Like, how do you even get in touch with that voice? And if you study Western esoteric traditions, there's all kinds of involved rituals for how people do that. Um, I feel like I am in touch with that voice. I didn't do any of the involved rituals that take way too much time and effort. What I did, it's what one of my root gurus, Robert Anton Wilson, talked about, is just start having the conversation. Mm. Just start having the conversation in your head. You know, like, and, and you can just say, I say, the way I say it is, oh, my angel, or my angel, and just, I, I'm seeking guidance. Please help me get aligned with the beam. Um, like actually say this in your heart, in your head, I'm seeking guidance. Please help me get in line with the beam. And then sit with that feeling of being filled with that light. See what the answers are that comes. Jordan Peterson talks about sit on the end of your bed and just be op open yourself, you know, say to yourself, I'm open to your influence, God, please influence me. Surrender some of that outward skepticism um, let yourself be a moving ship, you know. Mm. Uh, maybe you don't know if if God is this person that you can talk to. Um, maybe you have all kinds of ideas about that. But I, if you can set that aside and enter into the conversation, I think really interesting things can happen. So one of the things that I would recommend to people is establish a daily uh, prayer practice, a time when before you start your day, when things are quiet and you can light a candle and you can let yourself be filled with light and just seek the guidance of spirit, just request the guidance of spirit. Um, uh, for a while, I felt very strange about praying directly to God and would pray directly to my grandmother who passed mm -hmm. away, who I was very, very close to. And this is something that <clears throat> a lot of us in the West have gotten away from, and it's kind of having a revival now of you know, people getting in contact with their ancestors and working ancestor medicine and all this kind of stuff. And again, like you can get deeply down the rabbit hole of practices and courses and seminars and all of that, which I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do, but something very simple you can do is, 
you know, if you have an ancestor in your, in your line that you felt a real closeness to at some point in your life and that they're no longer there, pray to them, you know, uh, Uncle Joe or whoever it is, I'm seeking guidance. I want guidance. I want to be placed on the beam. Help me be placed on the beam. Um, one of my big prayers every day uh, is praying to my angel that I'm open to your influence influence me. I'm open to your influence. I hold my heart open to your influence. Please influence me. Um, I think this is a profound practice and you can start it off in the morning. I do it three times a day. My morning ones are a little bit longer. I sink into the spirit of it. But around noon at work, I'll go outside, sit down and face the direction of the sun, do a couple of cleansing breaths and just in my mind visualize holding my heart open and saying, to my spirit guides, I'm open to your influence. I'm open to your influence. I This Kabbalistic rabbi that I've been studying with kind of talks about, you know, the ultimate way to have all prayers answered is to have your ultimate prayer being, Hashem, I'm open to your influence. Hmm. Like, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Whatever comes after that will be great. I'll be in line with, with the yeah. beam. Like, Whatever maybe shows I up get the job, the maybe I don't get the job. Maybe I get the car, maybe I don't get the car. Maybe yeah. my cancer is cured, maybe it's not. Like, who knows? It doesn't matter. The, the ultimate thing is I'm wanting to be filled with spirit. I'm wanting to be yeah. liberated from small self into large self. What is a conduit. Yeah, that's, make me a conduit. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, something that popped into my mind, a visualization of, of that practice of just sitting down for any length of time in the morning. Um, <laughs> and you said, uh, pick it up again. Uh, it really vividly is the, the, a, a visual memory of shooting basketball, uh, hoops, uh-huh. shooting free throws yeah, and practicing and yeah. practicing. And sometimes it misses and I have to go get the rebound and come yeah. back. But I remember, a couple summers ago when I first moved home, when I would take a break from my work, I would go up to this park nearby and my dog would just kind of run around while yeah. I, I would shoot. And I wouldn't leave until I could make, I think for a while I was trying to make 10 in a row. Uh-huh. And But the point is that if if you equate meditation practice or prayer practice or any practice really to shooting basketballs, you're going to miss them. Yeah. <laughs> but you're only going to start to make them having missed a ton. Yeah. And so if you if you sit for two minutes and you're like, I can't do anymore, I got to go, and you get up and go, you still practiced. Yeah, it is a practice. And then come back the next day and shoot again. Keep doing it, and you know eventually you might sit for five minutes. And, and maybe at six or seven minutes, you're going to sink into something and have like this really pleasant connection with your breath. And then after that, maybe some answer to a question that has been kind of floating around around your mind, some solution to something will drop into your consciousness and you're like, holy shit, I'm going to do that. And then you do it. So be open to that. And um, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of like a, uh, a practical invitation for something to do that I've, I've seen tremendous results from and I brought this up in my solo podcast uh, a couple episodes ago and I think it ties into what you're saying is that conversation yeah with with God or the your angels or your yeah. spirit guides I remember a couple of years ago when I was really having a hard time <clears throat> in my journal I asked a question I wrote down a question and then I wrote what the answer was yeah and it got into this really weird kind of psychedelic <laughs> yeah. and surreal like 
back and forth, I was like, I, you know, I said, uh, I, I'm, I'm miserable. Like what, you know, what am I supposed to do? And the next thing I wrote is like, oh, so you're talking to yourself now? And I had this back and forth dialogue where I felt like I was kind of losing my mind. And it was interesting because it would go from lowercase handwriting into uppercase handwriting. Yeah. And it was like I was tapping into this different part of my being. Yeah. And uh, at some point I ended up having, you know, call it what you want to call it. But like I had a conversation with some higher self, yeah. some, some Godhead. Yeah. And and it gave me clarity and it gave me peace and it said just be yourself just love just settle into this moment just yeah. be present and breathe and breathe and breathe and you know that's that is another form of meditation it's like to to loosen up enough to have that weird conversation that holy shit if somebody read this they would think I was certifiable right but it gave me a tremendous amount of peace. I mean, I think this is this is something that um, I would say I have faith around, not because I have faith in the way that most people define it, that whole thing of, you know, belief in something unseen, but I have faith in the, the, the biblical sense of imuna, like my faith is rooted in my experience in this regard, and um, I would say the more that you cultivate this conversation with the spirit world. I mean, in all the spiritual traditions that, that I have studied, but particularly in the Gnostic traditions and in esoteric Hinduism and things like that, the idea is that we are surrounded by, you know, spirit guides and entities that are, that are deeply interested in our elevation and liberation and are there to help if you pay attention. <laughs> and it's been my experience that the more you pay attention to these things through conversation or writing, or like you're saying, or a little bit of quiet time in the morning, or just the intention of holding yourself open to influence, um, it starts to respond, you know, it starts to respond. And, uh, a lot of times I'll tell this to people and they're like, well, yeah, but how do I know that I'm not just talking to myself. And the only thing I can say, as you say with all of these things, is you just have to seek the mystery of that. Like, all I can tell you is that you'll know. You'll yeah. know when you're not talking to yourself. You'll know if you're fooling yourself. You'll know if it's you're just background chatter. And you might not know it the first 5, 10, 20 times you practice your meditation and prayer, but just continue. Get curious about it. Enter into it in a playful attitude that you don't have to have immediate success. You don't have to have, you know, thunder and lightning experiences occur. Those will come with time inevitably if you do spiritual practice. Those big breakthrough experiences will happen. But when we're talking about here just how to get started, I would say cultivating this sense of prayer and gratitude and, and living a life of reverence. You know, another simple one is praying before you eat. Mm -hmm. um, it, yeah. it's, it's something that people get very far away from and don't really do any much, much anymore. And then you encounter someone who does pray before they eat and it's palpable the power that is there of just having gratitude for the fact that you have food, that yeah. you have food in front of you, that you have a meal, that you have a nice place to stay. Um, um, it's another one of these tropes of our culture of like, Oh, well don't compare, don't compare conditions and hardships. I think that's absolute bullshit. I think it's, really, really good for me to sit around and go, 
you know what? My situation could be a hell of a lot worse. Like I have a nice house. Mm-hmm. I have a roof over my head. It's not leaking. I have food. Are there people who have more than me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there people who have way, 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 way less than I do? Absolutely. And, and cultivating a sense of gratitude around that. And, and praying for, for uh, over your food is a very simple way. It just takes a couple of seconds. But if you get into the habit of interacting with the spirit world, the spirit world will get into the habit of interacting with you um, and, and lead you to all kinds of novel, interesting, beautiful, terrifying, awe-inspiring, revelatory experiences. All of it. All of it. I think that opens it all up. Hell yeah. That's what I would say. Heaven yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, to wrap up, I, I definitely, I've been uh, cultivating that practice of like when I sit down with a meal, just taking a breath and like looking at it, not picking up my phone and just taking a moment to like look at my food and just be like, oh man, thank you. Yeah. And every time I do, I, I, I feel this energy run through my body of like this acknowledgement of like this presence. Like I'm, I'm here in this moment for maybe just this moment of my day. Yeah. Just like thanking the forces that be that have given me this food and the money in my bank account that has allowed me to get this food that's going to nourish my body for the rest of the day. Yeah. And every time I do that, it's just like this wave of energy runs through me. It's like this tingling and I'm like, I'm there. Yeah. I'm there and I'm going to enjoy my food. Yeah. And the last thing I, I, I want to say on here is if anybody's listening to this and is interested in, uh, you know, delving into this further and having conversation, particularly if you live in Nashville, even if you don't live in Nashville, if people can r- reach out to me either through Dave's podcast or you can find me on social media, you can listen to my podcast here on Anchor, Modern Gnostic, and I'm always open to people reaching out to me who are looking for, you know, different aspects of practice, or if you're like, yeah, I want to try a prayer practice, but I don't even know how to pray. Um, Like, I would be more than happy to help people in that regard. Um, And so please don't hesitate to reach out and get in contact if you have questions about any of this stuff, or if you need guidance in regards to what are some practices that you could engage in. Um, I'm completely open to people reaching out. Yeah, any really any feedback that you guys have, any comments, any suggestions or questions, yeah, please reach out. That's why we're doing this. We're trying to, you know, put out this information that we've benefited from and trying to connect and um into that. Yeah, and and with that being said, like I I really I I pray and I hope that something that we talked about today resonated with you and you can take it into your life and you know, f- Follow those breadcrumbs. Tap into that intuition within yourself, that little voice. The more you do it, the louder it'll get, and the more surely you will recognize you are on your path to wherever you need to be. And remember that right now is exactly where you need to be. Like You're never going to not be where you need to be. Just if it's uncomfortable, look around and ask yourself, what is the lesson what can I get from this moment right now? What do I need to know? So, hell yeah. Get out there. Get into that. Get in the arena. Get in the arena. What's the, the, <coughs> the, the stream? The beam. Get in the Step beam. into the beam. Get in the beam. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. And until next time, peace.